Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Coach Time on the Believe Network. I'm your host, John Lyons, and joining us today, special guest Justin Turpin of WEEI. He covers the Celtics. He does some production work there as well. Justin, how are you, and thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great, feeling better after a win last night. So, again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to do this podcast after a Celtics win instead of them losing four to get swept. So, definitely makes it a little bit easier. For you, Justin, as someone that covers the team, I'm going to ask you a simple question, but it's not going to have a simple answer. They got down 3-0 in this series. How did that happen? I think it's simply they just got away from what they did best all year round, like all season. Like what made them so good in the regular season was playing complimentary basketball, letting their defense turn into offense. And that's something they got away with in the postseason. You know, they they had a bunch of slip ups. I call them kind of chronic, uh, chronic kind of lack of focus is lack just slip ups. And um, they got away for that. And especially on the perimeter, like this series oftentimes has been won or lost on the perimeter. Miami controlled the three-point line for the first three game three games the Celtics got it back in game four and that's why they're able to pull off a W but it's just kind of getting away from what they did best the entire year which was priding themselves on their defense and though their defense was inconsistent at times they were at their best when they played well in the defense event and turned that into offense specifically turned it into good three-point shooting and and working fast in transition and it's interesting, too, because you said get away from some of the things that have worked all year. Malcolm Brogdon, in the days in between games three and four, even said they allowed some bad habits to creep in against Atlanta, against Philadelphia, and they got away with it. And I think they ran into a team against Miami that wasn't going to let them get away with it. And when you look at where they are down 3-1, and you mentioned that they were better on the perimeter in game four, is there a specific reason you think they're better on do you think they just started hitting more shots do you think the effort was higher do you think it was defensively turning in offense but i agree with you i think the perimeter made a big difference why specifically do you think that was i think it's a mixture of a lot of things i think the way they they weren't going to shoot the way they did games one through three again in game four i mean they shot so well from deep in the regular season they just struggled so much in the first three games of the series and they finally found that stroke again and i think a lot of it like i said has to go back to turning the defense into offense, getting good looks, working fast, and also just has to come down to hitting shots. You know, look at Al Horford, for example. I mean, the guy struggled so much in the first three games of the series and was finally knocking down his shots. And you've heard it all year. They live by the three, they die by the three. And unfortunately, this series, it's kind of, you know, when you take away the three-point shooting, their offense struggles, and they haven't been able to defend it as well, something they were pretty good at in the regular season. Yeah, and I think we even saw for the first time, really all playoffs, they were willing to take some mid-range jumpers. There's the one Tatum hit in the third quarter, or excuse me, in the fourth quarter when Miami went zone. Like I think they were willing to do that a little bit more, which maybe made their life on the perimeter easier. But you're right, they also just hit some shots. I mean, Marcus Smart hit a few threes. Derek White looked probably the best shooting. He's looked all series. So yeah. that made a big difference. And when you to be down 3-0 like they were and to have that flame out in game three where they were just awful from start to finish, a lot of question marks surrounded Joe Missoula, 34-year-old guy, first-time head coach in the NBA. He was a backbench assistant last year for a team that went to the NBA Finals. When you look at their issues getting to this point, and you can even go back to they probably shouldn't have taken six games to beat Atlanta, probably shouldn't have taken seven games to beat Philly, How much of that do you put on Missoula and what specifically of Missoula do you put on it? 
Well, I think the whole, I think one of the biggest problems for the Celtics this postseason is they just haven't been ready to go. They haven't yeah. been ready to go in certain games. And like I said, they've, they've lacked focus for certain. They've hit these chronic lulls where they just hit these low points and they just lose focus and just start playing sloppy basketball. I don't put that on Missoula. I put that on the players. There's only so much that he can do. And something Tatum has alluded to where he said Joe wasn't out there. Joe didn't turn over any of the ball, any turnovers. He didn't miss any shots. And I blame that part on the players, but you know, Missoula has put them in some tough situations, whether it's his lack of timeouts, his yeah. late game rotations, whatever it may be. I thought he had his best coaching performance as a member, as a head coach last night in game four, but I put most of it on the players though. Joe, Joe Missoula does certainly deserve some blame, but you know, at, at some point you got to turn and look at the core. I mean, these guys yeah. have been to five Eastern Conference finals in the last seven years. They've gotten over the hump once. And even last year when they got over the hump, they had games like they have had this year where they kind of have these slip ups and get away from what they do best. Like, look at the Milwaukee game last year in game five. where yeah. You know, they had, a chance, they had a chance to pull it away. They led by as many as 13 in the fourth quarter and just kind of lost focus. So. This has kind of been a chronic issue with this group, and I feel like it's easy to blame the first-year head coach. Of course, he's young, really didn't have a lot of experience. His only experience, prior head coaching experience was in Division II Fairmount State, so it's kind of tough to throw him in that position, but I think the blame's kind of 50-50 because the players deserve some blame, but Missoula has put them in some tough situations. Yeah, and I think that's a great point in that Missoula was put in a really tough spot because the Ime Udoka situation, if that happened last April or May or June, the Celtics probably would have hired an outside candidate and had a whole new head coach. You know, whether, but when you get to September, you can't go and interview Sam Cassell and Frank Vogel and make right. it's just you're a week away from training camp. It doesn't really work. So they had to pick him. Now, you could make the case should they maybe pick Damon Stoudemire, you know, another candidate. That's that's a fair argument. And I think Missoula, the timeout thing. I appreciate the philosophy, but you also have to be willing to adjust. We saw, you know, late in game four against Philly, chance to go up 3-1. You don't call one there. And I thought last night he did a good job adjusting. There were times where he didn't call a timeout, but then there were some quick timeouts that he got right on him. And I think that made a big difference too. But the criticism I have in Missoula, and I, I'm kind of curious if you agree, when Malcolm Brogdon talked about habits and how they slipped, to me, habits like that, they take a whole year to form. And I think that starts with the head coach. And yes, the players are a big part of it, but the head coach saying, this is how we're going to play defense. These are my expectations. This is how we're going to play offense. These, And it seems offensively like his expectations are we want to take a ton of threes. And, and they seem to get that. I mean, they, they have no problem taking a lot of threes. But defensively, either he didn't make the expectations clear enough or early on, he didn't make a big enough point to hold those guys accountable to that. And I think that's when we saw the bad habits creep in. So to me, yeah, the timeout thing is the big talking point. I get it, and that deserves some criticism. But I think the habits piece is bigger. Because last year we saw with Ime Udoka, it took half the year. First half of the year, they weren't good. But then when they traded for Derek White, they had the right mix. All those habits they had built up started clicking. And they became the best defensive team in the NBA. They got to game six of the finals. So I'm just curious if, like, to me, the habit piece is the bigger criticism. Do you see it that way or do you see it a different way? I do agree with that, especially when you look back at last year where they prided themselves on defense. And then this year they kind of switched that whole philosophy and they prided themselves on shooting. But in reality, and specifically shooting the threes, but in reality, 
they played their best when they were playing well on the defensive end of the floor and letting that turn into offense. And I think the habits were a problem all year. We saw the defense was inconsistent. They finished number two in total defense, but they had their fair share of slip ups and it took them oh, a yeah. while to find it. I mean, in the first first couple months of the season, they were not a good defensive team. And no, they're scoring teams. It, exactly. And I think a lot of that Missoula benefited from having one of the deepest, arguably the deepest roster in the NBA in the entire NBA. But I think the habits thing, like you said, it, it does take a whole year to develop these things. And this is kind of it's been the same stuff and they just got away with it. And now against a team like Miami that has a Hall of Fame head coach in Eric Spolstra and has a team that they buy into the little things. And that's something the Celtics don't necessarily do where the heat do all the little things. Why? Because they have to. They're the they're the far less talented team. I don't think there's many people that'll try to tell you otherwise the Celtics aren't the more talented team in the series talent wise they have the edge but Miami does all the little things right the things that the Celtics get away from whether it's offensive rebounding they don't foul when you're in the bonus that's been a huge issue for the Celtics this series they put Miami in the bonus and then they'll start fouling right. send them to the line and that's how you let an inferior team kind of crawl back into a game kind of give them life send them to the free throw line turn the ball over and let them let them cash in on the turnovers and that's the thing is those are the habits the Celtics really struggle with all season. They didn't turn the ball over as much in the regular season, but they still had their slip ups on that end too. And it's just those habits are the things that are killing them now. Like you said, and Miami does them so well where they focus on all these little things where that's where the Celtics tend to lose their focus. And it's cost them a lot of games this postseason. When you mentioned Miami and I've talked about this before, and I really want to get your take I feel like the New England region, but also more importantly, the Celtics underrated how good this Heat team is. And I know they were the eight seed. They lost the play in game, but they didn't really start clicking till midway through the year. And since then, they were really good. They were the one seed last year. They went to the NBA finals a few years ago. And this is a team that you mentioned. Eric Spolster is a Hall of Fame head coach. Jimmy Butler is a Hall of Fame player. Kyle mm -hmm. Lowry's a champion. Bam Adebayo is an all star. And I know these undrafted role players, I get it. But at this point, these guys have been in the NBA two, three, four, five years. In some cases, they're just good NBA players now. And, and I you saw what they were capable of last postseason. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think with the Celtics, they're the more talented team. I get it. Tatum is more talented than anyone on Miami. Brown and Butler are probably close to equal in talent. And then you start going down the list. The Celtics have more talent at basically every spot in the rotation. But, that doesn't mean Miami sucks. And I think that's the misconception. Miami beat Milwaukee in five. Yes, Giannis didn't play for two and a half games. They still dominated with Giannis in there. Miami beat the Knicks in six. They got out through. Like, I think this Miami team is A, much better than an eight seed, but I feel like the Celtics, to a degree, underestimated who they are. 100%. And I don't think, I think like a casual fan will look at this. How are you losing to an eight seed? This is not your traditional eight seed. I this agree. team, they were the one seed in the East last year. Sure, they're not the exact same team they were last year, but this is still a pretty damn good team. As we saw, they took care of Milwaukee in five, like you said. And that's a good point with Giannis. I mean, yeah, he was injured, but he played in some games too, and they still dominated them. And the Knicks, that was a good team. Those That Knicks team gave the Celtics fits this regular season. And Miami took care of them as well. And this Miami Heat team, it's 
just what they've been able to accomplish is so impressive. Like you mentioned the undrafted thing. And I don't really buy that anymore. Cause it's like, these yeah. guys are established players in the league. Now, like you saw guys like Struess, guys like Vincent, they show what they can do last year. And they're just showing it again this year. And I a hundred percent agree that they maybe, maybe overlook this team. Yeah. You know, they, it, they, they yeah. got the outside noise. They see that, you know, this is an eight seed and people are picking the Celtics and they were the favorites to win it. They were fit and they came out flat. They took them, took them lightly. Especially once you find out Tyler Hero and Oladipo aren't going to play, you wonder if that really, you know, because all year it felt like the Celtics were like, oh, we're just going to redeem ourselves in the NBA finals. But the path to get there, you, you got to go through that path. And Miami's really good. Now that the Celtics have won a game, okay, we're recording this on Wednesday. The Celtics have a game maybe to extend their season on Thursday tomorrow. No team has ever come back from down 0-3. They're 0-150, including the Lakers earlier this postseason. But we're looking at a team that's a one seed that's finally, for the first time, all series played well in game four. Two out of the next three games at home. I'm trying to talk myself into this, as you can probably tell. But I ask you, Justin, is there how much of a chance do you give the Celtics to be the first team in NBA history to come back from down 0-3? Honestly, I would say they have a better chance than most of those other teams did strictly because of the talent. I mean, this yeah. team is so talented and as much praise we just gave Miami, the Celtics, like we said, are so much more talented than this team. So as much as you want to believe that they can pull off this comeback, be the first team to ever do it. 150 teams have been in this situation. None of them have done it. And as much as we think, as much as we want to think they can do it, it's just, can they stay focused? Like their backs are against the wall. They've done a great job responding, but can they do it for, they have, they've had problems doing it for a full 48 minutes. Now they're going to yeah. do it for three straight games. You know, you got one and you know, it was encouraging how they played in the second half and mostly because they played good defense where it all starts and they showed that they can beat them. They showed this is the Celtics team that we grew so accustomed to watching have so much success in the regular season, but can they stay focused? That's the big question. And as much as you want to kind of say like, oh, this is the team that could break the trend and they quit in game three. Like, you yeah. can't forget that. If things, are, if things are to get hard and I know you mentioned that the next, the two of them are at home and the home, home court hasn't really been a factor for the Celtics. Losing records. So, exactly. Yeah. So as much as I want to kind of buy into it and, you know, yesterday was kind of encouraging. It just feels like it's too little too late at this point. Yeah. The home thing is weird. It's like, I think four out of their last or five out of their last six playoff series, they've lost multiple home games. I mean, yeah. they've already lost multiple home games this series. They lost multiple home games to Philly last year in the finals, Miami last year, the Bucks last. I mean, we're talking five out of six playoff series. They've lost multiple home games. So you would hope that two is enough and they can, you know, win a third one. Regardless, Justin, let's, so let's say whether they win the NBA championship or they lose Thursday night and they're out in five, they have some big decisions to make this offseason because Jalen Brown has made an all-NBA team. He's going to be eligible for a Supermax. Tatum's going to be a Supermax guy too. Marcus Smart, who I know you heart and soul of the team he's called, great defensive player of the year last year, he's approaching 30 years old and he makes a lot of money. They traded for Brogdon last year. They have White. Where do you think they do you think, first of all, do you think they give Jalen Brown the Supermax? But do you think they just keep this group together and hope that Missoula improves or they make a coaching switch? Or do you actually foresee some sort of roster shakeup with this group? Well, I think those are the two biggest questions facing Brad Stevens this offseason and Celtics ownership. 
I mean, Joe, like Joe Missoula, it starts with the head coach. Before you go to the players, it starts with the head coach because Jalen Brown's going to have, if they give Jalen Brown the max contract, super max contract, he's going to have an input on who the next head coach is, or if they keep Joe Missoula around. He was instrumental in bringing Ime Udoka to Boston, and he he had one of his better years with Ime Udoka, especially in the postseason. He was their best player in the postseason last Leading year. Leading score in the finals. Exactly. So he's going to have a say in the next head coach, or he'll have a say if they want to keep Joe. But that's where you kind of look at it if you're Brad Stevens. You've had, this will be their third head coach. They're on their third head coach in three years. And do you kind of want to go through that again? And if Jalen Brown is to get the Supermax, he'd be the highest paid player in the NBA, probably for a short, it won't be too long, but he would be the highest paid player in the NBA. And that's something you got to kind of consider. It's it's easy for us to kind of sit here and say, you don't want to break up this duo, but for Celtics ownership and Brad Stevens, we're not the ones cutting the check. You know, the lack of postseason success kind of has to come into play. Like we said, you've been to five Eastern Conference finals in the last seven years. Assuming this is it, you, you've gotten over the hump once. And, you know, at some point you kind of got to look how much of this is on the players. And uh, oftentimes they have struggled in the postseason. And I think those postseason struggles kind of have to be on front of mind. So I mean, I wouldn't break up the Jays, but. If you're Celtics ownership, it makes sense to kind of consider it because, you know, that's a lot of money, especially with the cap changing. Yeah, I wonder if, like, to trade Jalen Brown to me, it'd have to be like you're getting Luka Doncic back or you're getting, you know, Giannis, which I know that's not realistic to get Giannis or Nikola Jokic back. Maybe Luka is a little bit more, but, like, that's the level of guy to trade a second-team All-NBA guy in his mid-20s. you got to be getting that. Back. And I don't know if they're going to get that, but one thing I do wonder – is if they would be better off taking, say, Malcolm Brogdon and making him the starting point guard and just say, you're the primary ball hander, you can actually score, and then Derek White or Smart next to him can worry about, I'm going to create my own, I'm going to play defense, and I'm going to get open, because I wonder if that's still an issue. And I know Brogdon was the sixth man of the year, or do they go outside the organization? Because I still feel like they need, when Tatum and Brown are on the floor, they need a little bit more scoring on the guys besides them. And Al Horford was great in the playoffs last year. He hasn't been this year. Robert Williams is great around the rim, but he's a rim player. He's not going to hit shots outside the paint. So I, I do wonder if they do some ancillary moves. Like I just don't see, even if they win a championship, I don't know if I see this same you know, 12 guys coming back next year. I wonder if there's still some tweaking. And I do wonder what the future of Horford is going to hold just with his age. And I know he signed the extension, but – it feels like whether it means they put Brogdon playing more with Tatum and Brown, which I know they've done late in games anyway, but it feels like they just need a little bit more scoring to allow Smart and White to be able to play just more defense on the perimeter too. Yeah, I think you hit on it. I think what the Celtics have in their guards, in their guard trio, Brogdon, Smart, and White is really special. Yeah. And that that's a very talented trio of guards and they can get creative with it. And like you said, Marcus smart kind of getting close to 30. He's had his postseason struggles. I mean, they're going to have a lot of decisions to make. And I think it does start with the guards, you know, obviously the, the wings with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be a big conversation, but you have a surplus of guards. What are you going to do with them? I mean, even a guy like Peyton Pritchard, remember yeah. he, he, he could turn on teams in the NBA and He's kind of found his way out of the rotation. I know, you know, he's gotten some postseason minutes, but they have a surplus of guards. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they handle all the, the guard talent they have this offseason. 
And especially because we look at, they may very well not have Grant Williams back next year. He's probably going right. to get a big offer. So then you have a aging Horford there, an injury prone Robert Williams in the front court, but you have those extra guards. Like you said, it's going to be, I feel like there's going to be one sort of move with like a rotation piece that maybe like Malcolm Brogdon, I'll be honest, I didn't see that move coming. Maybe it's going it's to be something maybe like, and maybe not that big, but some type of move like that. But Justin, it was a pleasure talking Celtics with you. I hope the next time we talk, we talk about their series comeback win against Miami. That'd, That'd be, nice. be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? But do me a favor and tell all the people listening where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me right on uh, wei.com on uh, Twitter uh, at Justin M. Turpin on Instagram at Justin.Turpin. And yeah, that's where you can find my work. And always a good follow, Justin Turpin and his Celtics content. Stick with us here on Coach Time. We'll have a quick word from our sponsors. And then I'll be right back. Thank you again to Justin Turpin for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome back into Coach Time. Thank you to our sponsors for that brief word. And thank you to Justin Turpin for joining us to talk Celtics. Justin covers the Celtics for WEEI here in Boston. You can find all his content there on WEI.com and on Twitter. Great follow and great coverage from Justin. I want to switch gears now. A lot of NFL teams are entering phase three of their OTAs this week. Mini camps are right around the corner. So I want to do a little early power rankings. We've had free agency. We've had the draft. We've had retirements. We've had coaching changes. So I want to look at who are the truly top five best teams in the NFL right now. And that could change, but who are the best five teams in the NFL right now? So first at number five, I have the Buffalo Bills. They had a disappointing end to their season, but they still have a great roster. I think Ken Dorsey in his second year will be a little bit more comfortable as an offense coordinator. They still had a great offense last year anyway, but I think he'll be even more comfortable. But I think the way that season ended, coupled with no longer having Leslie Frazier, a defensive coordinator, it's going to carry over a little bit. Like They're still a Super Bowl contender. They're still going to win the AFC East, I think but they're not the big bad wolf that they were the last couple of years. And I think that's going to make a difference. So I have the bills at number five, Cincinnati Bengals, number four. I look at them as really an elite team. Thanks to Joe Burrow and some pieces around him on offense, but I am concerned. Jesse Bates is gone. They've brought in Orlando Brown jr. To help solidify that offensive line. But this is the first time in this run they've had, which has been the last couple of years that they've really had to replace people, right? So they bring in Orlando Brown, as a replacement on the offense line. I think he'll be good. They have to replace some pieces in the secondary. So I still think they're an elite team. I still think Joe Burrow's the second best quarterback in the NFL. I think they have a great coaching staff as well. I just put them at four, not quite at two, because I want to see how they replace those pieces. And we may have some answers to that in not long. It just, at least how those guys play. And I think we'll know by early in the season anyway. Number three, I have the Eagles. They have an awesome roster great head coach, great quarterback, but they've lost both coordinators. So I love their draft. I love getting Jalen Carter. I love getting Nolan Smith. I think Tyler Steen as well. Those are all great picks. Their roster is one of, if not the best in the entire NFL. Again, just they lose their offensive and defensive coordinator. You can lose one of them and come back from it. It's really difficult to lose both and continue to be the best team in the NFL. I still think they're going to win the NFC East. I still think they're probably going to be in the NFC championship game again. I just have them at three instead of two or one. Cause I want to see how they do without those two coordinators. Number two is the San Francisco 49ers. I know they got blown out in that NFC championship game by the Eagles, but they didn't have a quarterback for most of the game. And it was a seven, seven game in the second quarter. And I think if they had a quarterback, they very well might've won that game because it would have played out 
totally different. They add Javon Hargrave to a defense that was number one in the league last year in points per game and yards per game. Brock Purdy's projected to be healthy by week one. They also have Trey Lance. So either way, I think they're going to get good quarterback play because I'm still a believer in Trey Lance. But even if he ends up not being the guy or Purdy beats him out, Purdy showed last year he can get you to the NFC Championship game. They'll have a full year of Christian McCaffrey. Debo Samuel is the best weapon in the NFL. Great as a receiver, great as a running back. Put it together. He's the best weapon in the NFL. And, of course, George Kittle, him and Travis Kelsey go back and forth each year. Who is the best tight end in the NFL? You throw in blocking and pass catching. Kittle might be the best one of the two overall. Obviously, Kelsey is a pass catcher is the best tight end in the league, though. And that brings me to my number one team, which is Travis Kelsey's Chiefs. Not a big surprise here. They're the defending Super Bowl champs. To me, what I want to see this year, Kadarius Tony. He only had seven catches in the playoffs last year. He came over midseason, but he showed some flashes where, oh, okay, there's some. T- this is why this guy was a first-round pick. I want to see if he can take what he built on a little bit last year and really build on it this year. Because without Juju Smith-Schuster... They're going to need someone with real talent to be an option besides Kelsey. And I think Tony has the talent to do it. He's just got to put it all together. And I wonder if a full year now in the system will be allow him to do that. And I know they lost Eric Bieniemy, but having Matt Nagy as OC, he's been an OC in Kansas City before with Andy Reid. So I don't think they'll miss much of a beat there. It's so different than that Eagles situation. I, I think having a guy that's literally done that job with that head coach before makes a big difference. And of course, Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. I said it earlier this offseason. He's already a top five quarterback of all time. I put him at number five. So Chiefs at one, 49ers at two, Eagles at three, Bengals at four, Bills at five. I think any of these five could have won the Super Bowl. Team that just missed the cut for me, keep your eye on New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers now. They just missed the cut for me. Also keep your eye on the Detroit Lions, Seattle Seahawks. Dallas Cowboys and Baltimore Ravens. I think all those teams could be legit contenders as well. Well, that does it for another edition of coach time. As I said before, thank you to Justin Turpin for joining us and talking Celtics. We'll see if the Celtics can dig themselves out of this three, one hole. They've already taken one step there to make it three, one. Can they dig themselves now out of three, one and advance to the NBA finals, which would be an unprecedented move in NBA history. We'll know by the time our next show records, but until then, thanks for listening. Have a great day.